I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Make It British podcast. On last week's episode, I talked about whether you should label a product made in the UK, made in Britain or something completely different. And I promised you that this week I would talk about whether you could actually label a product as made in Britain or made in the UK. So what constituted the rules surrounding the labelling of products. Now, if you didn't hear last week's episode, go back and have a listen. It's episode number 34. So, yeah, I'm going to clear up some of the myths surrounding whether you can label a product as made in Britain or made in the UK. It's one of the questions I get asked all the time. People get in touch and say, I've got X product. Can I label it as made in Britain? Now, I'd love to say to you that there is a rule or a law and this is how it all works and and it's as cut and dried and as simple as that, but it really isn't. And with um, Brexit coming up and the UK leaving the EU, it's likely to get even more complicated. So I'm not going to go into every single detail on this podcast. It's not quite the place, but I'm going to give you some general guidelines and point you in the direction of some way that you can go if you want more details. But what I can tell you is how we apply our thoughts to what constitutes a made in Britain or a made in UK product here at Make It British. So we generally go by the Trading Standards Act of 1968. Yep, that really was over 50 years ago, which says that it's the place which the last substantial change took place is where the the product is actually made. So what actually constitutes last substantial change? Well, that very much varies by product, but it's generally seen to be the place where a where the parts of a product are assembled. So let's take, for example, the good old T-shirt, which most people have in their wardrobes. That T-shirt could be made with fabric that's been knitted overseas, yarn that is spun overseas, but that fabric has come to the UK as a bolt of fabric and then been cut and stitched in the UK and made into a T-shirt. Now that, the assembly of the parts of the cut fabric constitutes a substantial change because before that it was classified as fabric and after that it was classified as a t-shirt. I always think of it as could you, does it have the same end use now that you've made this change? So a t-shirt has a different end use to a piece of fabric because a piece of fabric you can't wear unless you're wrapping it around yourself like a toga. (laughs) So if it's been assembled in something completely different to what it was originally, That is generally what constitutes the substantial change. Now, let's take that T-shirt example again. But what about if it was a printed T-shirt and it was printed in the UK, 
but the fabric, the yarn and the, the cutting and sewing of the t-shirt were done overseas. But when it comes into the UK, it's printed, embellished, embroidered or label sewn on. You know, quite a lot of work might have gone into it. Does that constitute made in the UK? Well, it doesn't because it's the same in use. It's still a t-shirt, but now it's a printed t-shirt. So it isn't a substantial change. It's certainly not enough, a substantial enough change from where I'm standing. And the rules are slightly wishy-washy of what constitutes a substantial change. And that is really the problem and why everyone gets confused. Which is why I always say that if it has a different end use, then that is where you have the substantial change. Let me give you an example of another product which is maybe more difficult to define. Say you have a moisturiser, so a beauty product, you've got a moisturiser, all the raw ingredients that go into that cream come from overseas. So they may be grown over there, processed over there, but it comes to the UK and it's mixed together and packaged in the UK and sold in the, U in the UK, can you label that as made in the UK? Well, yes, currently you can, but I'll talk a bit later about rules of origin, which is something slightly different, which will, is much more complex and is causing a whole lot of headache in government at the moment about how everyone is going to be labelling and applying tariffs going forward. But currently, if you've got that face cream and you are using ingredients from overseas, but mixing it together and packaging it and selling it in the UK because it's been assembled here and it's got a different end use to the ingredients sold separately. Now let's take the example of a car. So say for instance, the BMW Mini, it's assembled in the UK in Oxfordshire, but it constitutes a lot of parts that come from all over, all over Europe mainly, and they make up the majority of the car, but the car's put together in the UK. And so it's classified as made in the UK. However, when it comes to labeling and export, it's really, it gets even more confusing. And that is part of the problem. So currently, as time of recording this, the UK is part of the EU, but not for much longer. And when it comes to exporting, we abide by something called rules of origin. So rules of origin apply to any product that is being exported and it dictates what tariffs um, are chargeable on that product when it is delivered to other countries. Now, the rules of origin are much more complex and they take into account not only where the last substantial change took place, but also where the value was added. Now, how do you define where the value is added? That is the problem, especially when you've got a product that has so many different parts that have come from all over the world. So this is where everyone is getting their knickers in a twist at the moment. So generally, value added is seen as what is the value of that product when it leaves that country? So in most cases, that would be the place in which it was assembled. So take, for instance, the car, the actual value of the finished car is worth so much more than the individual parts. So the value is still added there. However, it gets even more complex when it comes to trade agreements, because there's something there called cumulation. And cumulation is when a product has been 
accumulated from various different parts. And there's all different sorts of accumulations, bilateral accumulation. I can't even say the word. Bilateral accumulation, diagonal accumulation and full illumination. Um, And it's really, really complex. So I'm not going to go into all of that here. I'm actually going to link to something that was produced by the um, manufacturers organisation, the EEF, who have done a um, document about specifically about the real technicalities when it comes to rules of origin and trade agreements. And like I say, this is recorded pre the time of the UK leaving the EU and it's likely to get even more confusing for a while which I think actually means that the more of your product you can actually source from and make in the UK, the better, because you're not going to get into all this complexity about accumulation and what value was added and where. I mean, when I was doing research for this podcast, just to show you how confused everyone actually is, I came across a piece online from the Institute for Government, a think tank that helps advise the government on things like rules of origin and trading. And they actually had a phrase in it which completely flummoxed me, which said that finished products can qualify when particular specific working or processing activities are carried out. For example, a rule may require clothing products to be manufactured from yarn. What the... I mean, all clothing products near enough are manufactured from yarn. So what are they talking about? Is that sentence finished? Should it have said, may require clothing products to be manufactured from yarn from the UK? No one knows. And I think the worst thing is a lot of people that are working and advising on this to government don't even understand some of the complexities of supply chain, which is a bit worrying. Um, So I've gone off on a little bit of a political tangent there. And a lot of this you don't actually have to worry about because when it comes to a made in label, I don't think the rules are going to change regarding where it is assembled. No one is ever likely to say that you need to label every single country that every single part of your product is from on the made in label. Can you see people putting made in India, China, Bangladesh and London? It's not going to happen. When it comes to exporting and how you classify the country of origin of that product, yes, the rules are likely to change and it's going to be one to watch. But when it comes to putting a label in your product, you still need to stick to the assembly or last substantial transformation rule. So if you've got any questions about that, if you've got a specific product and you're really quite confused about what you should put as the made in label, then do get in touch with me. I'd love to advise you and I'd love to give my thoughts on it. I've not yet had anyone contact me with a product where I haven't been able to say, right, that's that's where I think the last substantial change took place. But if you've got something that really is crossing millions of different borders and you can't define where that last substantial change is, then do let me know. I would love to know what it is. And maybe I can tell everyone about it on a future podcast episode.
So I hope you found this useful. I am going to put a link to the EEF document on rules of origin because it's quite complex. And if you're interested in tariffs for export, where we stand currently and what's likely to change when Britain leaves the EU, then I think that is the best piece of information that is currently available on the subject. Right. Thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Thank you for listening in. If you're loving the podcast, please leave me a little review on iTunes and I will join you in the next episode. Bye bye. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. With over 200 exhibitors, inspiring talks just like the ones you've been listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops, it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. Registration is now open. Just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register to register for a free ticket. If you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, just visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire and one of my team will get straight back to you. To reach out to me personally, the best place to do this is via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Make It British and Instagram at Make It British too. For all show notes for these podcasts, just go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast and you'll find all the details. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. And I really would love it if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye.